Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Financial Plan and Explained. Uh, I'm your host, Mike Menninger, certified financial planner, owner and founder of Menninger and Associates Financial Planning. Uh, I'm pleased to have uh, two of my senior junior associates with me today as we do something that I haven't done before. Um, came up with the idea and I love the idea. And if I love the idea, then it has to be a good idea, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> or at least if it, was, yeah. but if it was my idea, it was a good idea. <laughs> only if it works. Right? <laughs> right, only if it works. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to do a question and answer session. Okay, now, unfortunately, I, I don't have uh, people calling in. That would be the best thing. We don't have that yet. Uh, hopefully, we're going to have it sometime in the near term. But what we've done is we've grabbed a variety of different questions that were either asked of us, that were asked in blogs, and, and all that. There's a lot of questions. So some of them may be applicable to you, and some of them may not. And chances are, a lot of them will be applicable to most people. And so what we're going to do today is, is basically go through it. So uh, when I referenced my associates to my immediate right, is Ryan Keefe. Ryan's been with me for a few years. Uh, he is a CFP, part, pra not practitioner, participant, registrant. Registrant, that's the term. Yes. <laughs> um, and so, you know, he's sitting, uh, taking his classes to get ready for uh, getting a CFP. Mm -hmm. and, and for those of you who know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for the CFP designation. And then all the way to the right is Kyle. Kyle Ryan, not to be confused with this Ryan. <laughs> yeah, you know, we run into that all the time. Yeah. Um, fact of the matter is, is that Kyle did get a CFP, okay, uh, graduated Temple a couple years ago, got a CFP and may very well be one of the youngest, uh, you know, CFPs or people that get the CFP that quickly, which is, you know, says a lot about it um, because the CFP is, is clearly a advanced designation in this industry. So um, everything we talk about is all about financial planning and, you know, fundamentally, um, everything comes down to the planning. Your six areas of financial planning are cash management, tax planning, which is not something you do uh, at the end of the year. You're doing it throughout your life. Risk management, which is insurance planning. You got investment planning. You got retirement planning. And you have estate planning. So uh, I imagine that these questions that keep popping up are going to probably touch upon these different areas. And don't be surprised if they're all over the map. So, you guys ready? Let's do it. All right, let's go. All right, first question, please. All right, what is the best way for someone in their early 20s to start making small, low-risk investments? Well, I'm not sure exactly what the small, low-risk investments are. So, let's yeah. just call it what's the best way for someone in their early 20s. Ryan, you want to grab that one? Yeah, sure. Um, so one thing you want to make sure you do um, as an investor in your early 20s, just when you're starting out, um, mainly you want to focus on what's my debt and you want to pay that down. Right. Paying down debt is always important. Uh, in fact, it's kind of, if you think about it, a guaranteed rate of return. If your interest rate on your debt is, you know, call it 8% and you pay down that debt, you're guaranteeing that 8% return on your money. Um, you know, after you pay down your debt, you want to build up your cash reserves. You want to have enough emergency savings for, you know, general rule of thumb is about three to six months of expenses. Uh, and then when you're ready to start investing, um, 
the easiest way to do it is through your 401k or your retirement plan at work. And what you want to do is maximize, find out what your company match is. Yeah. And then you want to maximize that company match. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's free money. It's free money. <laughs> Two um, of my favorite words. Exactly. And then if you have any money outside of that, you know, you might want to look at other investment vehicles such as Roth IRAs and things like that that can help your money grow tax efficiently. Right. And so, you know, one of the things that I've always preached about financial planning is that you want to create flexibility and, you know, having an emergency reserve provides flexibility for emergency access to money. Um, the 401k, you know, obviously the downside of a 401k, the upside is that you're getting company match. The downside is so long as you're still working for the company, you can't access yeah. it. And that's what's good about the Roth IRA. Right. You know, when you have a Roth IRA outside of your plan, even if it was an IRA and a Roth IRA outside of your plan, it, you can access it while you're still working. And, you know, as opposed to the, the requirements of the 401k, you actually have to leave the company. So. And another thing I always tell clients is, you know, understand your budget and pay yourself first. You know, that's one way to start investing. Uh, you know what? It's funny you say that. Um, it, it very much is. And it, human nature, if you're making $50,000 a year, you're spending $50,000 a year. Okay. And then you get a raise and you're making. $55,000 a year, guess what? In no time, you're making 50, you're spending 55. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, unfortunately, if you go from 55 to 50, you're going to be complaining a lot, but before you know it, you're spending it. So the pay yourself first mentality is great because you're contributing to, to the 401k or whatever it is. And I'll be honest with you, when I first graduated college, if it wasn't for the fact that I already, that they weren't matching, I probably wouldn't have contributed to my 401k. So anyway, that was a good start. All right, next question. So I have a 401k through my job. Do I need an IRA as well? All right, so you know, looking at this question saying, you know, you have a 401k, could you also start up an IRA? You know, it's easiest way to do it is by differentiating the two. We have a lot of clients who come to us and say, you know, I've got this IRA or I've got this 401k when really it's the other one. So, right. you know, all, all the time, all the time. It's funny. And, you yeah. know, they're very similar. So you, the only real difference is one's offered through your employer, your 401k, you get right. it through your employer, whereas your IRA is an individual retirement account that you open yourself. Correct. So... I mean, the differences are really, you know, in your contribution amount. You can put a little, you can put a lot more in your 401k. You know, if you're under 50, you can put up to 19,500 currently in there. Whereas an IRA, you can only get 6,000 in there. And the IRA is dependent on your income. Absolutely. So if your income is too high, you can't contribute nope. to the IRA. You may not be able to contribute to the Roth IRA, but you can bang your 401k. Yep. And it's right. not income dependent. Yep. You can get more into your 401k, but it's harder to access that money right. as well. So exactly. that's another thing you have to consider. You know, if you're if you're saving for retirement, you know you're not going to touch this money for a long time, and you have a lot to get in there. Well, yeah, you can do your 401k. And if you have extra, sure, you know, go your IRA. And we haven't even really touched on Roths. Roths introduce a whole nother layer of flexibility. And Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, and one thing you also want to take into consideration with the difference between a 401k and an IRA is the 401k, you usually have a limited number of investment options yes. yep. that the company offers. Yep. So when you, if you, let's say you really want to buy a certain stock or a certain mutual fund and your 401k plan doesn't offer it, well, too bad. 
the IRA allows you that flexibility to purchase that, sell that. And exactly. Exactly. Yeah, if you like Apple stock, you generally can't get it in your 401k, but you can get it in your IRA, Apple, Amazon, whatever. The, yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. yep. That's a good point. Yep. All right. Next question. How do I determine what is the right amount of life insurance to buy for myself? That is a really good question. Loaded. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because uh, I think the answer to almost every question, as we all know, is what? It, it depends. depends. It depends. <laughs> there you go. So, so life insurance, really, uh, all insurances fundamentally are to protect you from a major financial disaster. And life insurance, the financial disaster is, you know, beyond the, the emotional impact, but I'm not bringing home a paycheck anymore. And if I have dependents relying on my paycheck and it's not coming home anymore, well then that's why you buy life insurance to protect from that. And the two basic types of life insurance are term insurance and permanent insurance. And term insurance is just what it is. You're, doing nothing but the bare bones insurance for a particular term, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, or 30 years. Meanwhile, whole life or, or permanent insurance is one which builds a cash value and they're structured with guarantees so that it doesn't pay if you die during that period, it pays when you die, which is typically more of an estate planning type of thing because you know eventually if you're going to use it for estate planning or you want to make sure that you leave it to your children or whomever, that's when you get the permanent type of policy. But if you wanted to get the biggest bang for your buck and you wanted to get the most insurance, the way to do it is term. And then the other question is, is well, gee, I can get it through work, which is group term, versus outside of work, which I refer to as being private. I'm generally a fan of the private insurance, okay? And the reason why the private insurance is because, you know, if the particular company that I work for offers me three times my annual salary, I could buy three times my annual salary, what happens if I leave that company and I go to another company that doesn't offer the insurance, yep, right. okay? And little do people realize that group term is age-banded which means that you're gonna pay a certain price for if you're age 35 to 39, and then 40 to 44, 45 to 49, but it, everybody's lopped into the same category, where they only differentiate between male and female, and tobacco user and non-tobacco user. So if I am a male, sitting, you know, and I'm a marathon runner, okay, and you know, thin as a rail, and I'm a marathon runner, and I'm a great shape, I am gonna pay exactly the same amount of money as the person sitting next to me who may be obese with heart disease and cancer. You know, that's not fair, but that's part of the group insurance. Yep. And so otherwise, I'm normally a fan of trying to get the individual insurance because it provides you with the protection that you need and you never have to worry about losing it through work. So how much insurance do you need was the question and it really comes down to it's, it's a much longer question, and quite honestly, uh, this is making me think I ought to have a show just on life insurance because this could be an entire show. Um, you can look at it based on trying to replace income or what do I need to pay off all these debts and save for colleges. That's the capital needs analysis yeah. and the income needs analysis. Yeah. So um, 
going to beat, I, I don't want to beat this to death because this can go on forever. Um, <laughs> next question. Should I get a reverse mortgage if I'm looking to retire in the next couple years? Well, I'm going to separate that question. Um, in the next couple years is not really relevant per se. Uh, you don't see reverse mortgages all that often. Um, and it used to be that they were really junky products, okay, and ripoffs and everything else like that. And apparently the federal government has begun to regulate them so that they're, they're not junky products. But in short, what a reverse mortgage is is kind of just that. You know, if you think about a mortgage, I'm going to be paying, call it 1000 or $1,500 a month for 30 years, okay, to pay off the loan. Well, a reverse mortgage is typically have the value of your home pay me a monthly payment. Well, who usually does something like that? Well, first of all, you have to be older. Okay, I believe the, the 62 years Six, old. 62 years old. You have old. to be over 62 years old. And what happens a lot of times is people who are older may not have saved enough for retirement and they need more money than what either Social Security or maybe a pension or what their savings are providing. They need more money than that. However, they bought their house 40 years ago, paid $30,000 for it, and now it's worth 300000 So what this does is it gives them the ability to um, use the value, the equity of their home, to subsequently pay them a monthly payment for the rest of their life. So I'm going to break at that question. Um, we will be back with you in a few moments after our commercial message. Have you saved enough for retirement? Are you financially prepared for an emergency or unexpected event? Have you thought about your financial future? Hi, I'm Mike Manager, founder of Manager & Associates Financial Planning. For over 20 years, we have been answering our clients' questions just like these as we develop unique and comprehensive financial plans tailored to meet their needs. When addressing your financial plan, we incorporate your entire financial picture, including taxes, estate planning, as well as investment planning and retirement planning. So call us today for a complimentary no-obligation consultation. A unique approach to financial planning. Welcome back to Financial Planning Explained uh, with a unique episode here. Uh, I'm here with a couple of my associates, uh, Kyle Ryan and Ryan Keefe. Um, here we are, we're just doing question and answers. So we got through a few in the first segment, um, ready to shoot another one up. What's the next question? Which is the best way to increase my high income, large cap growth and risk allocation stocks? I do not understand that question. What's the best way to increase my... Um, so what, go ahead. No, um, you know, what I see this as is, you know, you're looking for high, I mean, the end word is stocks, so everything's stocks. You're looking for dividend paying, large cap growth, and target date funds. Um, I'm not quite sure where this goes. Yeah, right. you know, it almost I, sounds like they're asking uh, three different things. So a high income 
if you're looking for high income, then you're going to be wanting either bonds or high yield bonds. But typically stocks don't provide as much income because the opportunity is in the growth of the stock. And a risk allocation stock, maybe uh, what the, the person is asking is something along the line of a, 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 an allocation fund. Yeah. Right. So I apologize yeah. to the person who asked this question. Unfortunately, I don't understand the question. So we'll have to move on to the next one. What's the difference between opening a custodial account and a 529 for our child's college fund? Kyle, you want to take this one? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, really, if you're looking for a child's college fund, a 529 is built as a qualified education expense vehicle. So that could really be used to save from anything from college to high school now as a recent Yeah, they thing. just changed that a couple yep. years ago. So, you know, a 529 really depends on the purpose. If you know that your kid's going to be going to college, a 529 is the best thing for it. It's built for that. Whereas a custodial account, on the other hand, can be used for other things besides college. A 529 right. plan can as well, with penalties, but we won't cover that. A custodial account, um, you know, it's essentially, you can use it from anything for paying for college if you need it, or buying a car, buying your first house. It has a litany of more options. And it's, it's unlimited. Yes. It's unlimited. Yep. Okay, and it's considered to be in a child's name, and that's a big difference between a custodial account is, you know, like you heard of UGMA or UTMA, U-T-M-A or U-G-M-A. Um, basically, what that means is that a parent serves as the gatekeeper yeah. and the child can't get the money until they reach age of majority. And you know, Harvard versus Harley, okay? Well, if you put it in a 529 plan, then what happens is that the parents actually, or whomever deposits the money, is actually the owner. Yeah. And not only are they the gatekeeper, the person who you have it for, the child, is the beneficiary. Yep. And so the beauty of it is that, you know, and we've had it many times with clients of ours, that one child chooses not to go to college or doesn't use all the money, the parent can change the beneficiary. Yep. Mm -hmm. So it provides a tremendous amount of flexibility. It provides um, a tax advantage because the monies that you put into a 529 for college grows tax-free yep. if mm -hmm. used for mm -hmm college and they just added the new um, rule two years ago that allows them to use up to ten thousand dollars a year for secondary was it not secondary was it k through 12 k through 12 that's secondary correct. right correct yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what's primary <laughs> all right next question what's the best way to invest to have your money work for you okay um there's a couple different ways you can answer this one. Um, I mean, the, the best way to invest in and have your money grow and have your and that money build and then grow upon itself, in my opinion, is is through dollar cost averaging, you know, you dollar cost average by, you know, there's no, uh, you just pick an amount that you want to put into a particular fund. And it goes in on a, you know, timely basis, whether that be monthly, weekly, yearly, right. Um, and then, you know, what you're doing is over time, you're buying that fund or that stock low at a low price, at a high price. And over time, you're averaging out the cost. And, you know, the more volatile that fund is, the cheaper it is over time, essentially. Right. The um, average is always lower. It's a mathematical phenomenon. And it's basically because if the investment price is low, 
you're buying more shares. Mm -hmm. If the investment price is high, you're buying less shares. Yeah. But I would think too, and this is also very difficult, and I apologize to the person who asked this question, is you know, what's the best way? I mean, certainly dollar cost averaging is a great way, but to have your money work for you, you, you would want to have something that grows more. I, w I would say, you know, even defining, like picking a goal for your money, understanding that, because if, you, you know, you want your money to work for you and you want to buy a house in six months, well, what you don't want to do is put it in the market and lose it. That's right. That's not right. how it works for you. <laughs> right. So really understanding the goal and the plan behind what your money is, the purpose of it. Right. Yep. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's a vague question, but, you know, as you pointed out, it all falls back to the planning. And when it comes to risk, you know, time is the single largest component of risk. Even if I'm an aggressive investor, if I need the money in six months, I'm crazy to take risk for that because, yeah, yeah. you know, we all know things can happen in a short period of time. A couple weeks. Oh, really? Yeah, like <laughs> as in like a five-week, 35% drop because yeah. Mr. Kobe decides <laughs> yeah. to knock on the door. All right. Next question. With dire forecasts of economic collapse and bank bail-ins, what, what's a bail-in? <laughs> uh, what is a secure option for saving with interest liquidity? Well, the reality of it is this. I'm not sure what this viewer uh, is asking, and, and I apologize to this one too, but you know, dire forecasts of economic collapse, I certainly hope that doesn't happen. Bank bail-ins, uh, if they're talking about running the bank, that's been solved years and decades ago with the advent of FDIC insurance, mm -hmm. which is up to $250,000 per account, registered per account. An account. Mm -hmm. So I, Would it be fair to just recategorize this? I mean, what's in the headlines right now is inflation and economic collapse and dire forecasts. <laughs> All I could think of is maybe you know, they're, they're referring to inflation. Possibly, Possibly. So because the, the, I, I don't know about dire forecasts of economic collapse, but we're in the process of having our fastest growth almost in the history of the United States. So Yeah, and one thing I would always keep in mind is, you know, there's throughout the history of the stock market, there's always been predictions of dire economic collapse, <laughs> and there's always been times of hardship, and sure. no one can disagree with that, but the stock market has always prevailed. Right. So it's really just about it's about your time horizon and how much you can stomach a loss. And you know, if you're if you need money at a certain time, you better have it safe. That's correct. And not yeah. highly correlated to something that's volatile like the stock market. Right. Right. And so, you know, all it comes down to goals and objectives and planning first. And quite frankly, if it is short term and you need liquidity, then the reality of it is a savings account is the best way to go. Yep. You know, because there's zero risk. Unfortunately, as we all know, you want a high rate of return, you're going to need to take some risk. Yep. If you're not willing to take any risk, then you're not going to get very much return. And how many times in my career, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard, and I can't help but joke, of I would like a low risk investment that provides a high rate of return. I don't want to lose money. I want to double it. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. But I, right, exactly. Yeah. I want to double my money, but not risk and lose yep. it. Uh, Got to love it. Got to love it. Uh, next question, please. My company claims we have a 401k loan program. How does that work? I'll take that one. Um, 401, or companies do offer a 401k. It is not a requirement 
to have 401k loan programs. However, many companies do. And it, most, I would say most do because it's a provision that's allowed. It doesn't really cost the company any money. And if it doesn't cost them any money, then it allows them to have additional flexibility on behalf of their employees. Well, what a 401k loan is, is it allows the participant to borrow from the 401k up to 50% of their account value, but no more than $50,000. So if a person has a $200,000 account and they want to borrow, they can borrow as much as they want up to 50,000. And what happens is they take the loan and it can be determined as a anywhere up to five years. And the loan payback is through payroll deductions. So rule of thumb, um, the 401k loan, interestingly enough, if I took a distribution of a 401k, what happens is that I get the $50,000 and it's not taxable to me. So I literally can take that money, put it into an account, do whatever I want with it. That money is not taxable. But now that loan is a loan against myself. It's against my own 401k. And so I end up having to pay interest on that loan. But the good news is that generally speaking, the interest is relatively low. Okay, I want to say four or five percent in today's interest rate environment. But better yet is I'm paying myself the interest. Okay, now the um, the problem is is it is double taxed. But if I took a fifty thousand dollar loan out and I was doing it at roughly five percent, whatever that rate might be. What I would find is that my monthly payment is about $900 or somewhere around 400 to 450 every two weeks. And so by the time I get done paying back the loan, I will have paid my $50,000 back, but probably another $5,000 worth of interest. And so the downside is that I actually took after-tax money, put it back into my 401k, and I am actually getting double taxed on that money. But I would much rather pay tax on that money than give that money away to a bank. That just like, but the problem is too, too many people uh, look at that as easy money, grab the money. You're taken away from your retirement and we don't encourage it, but it may actually be a better solution than other really bad solutions. You know, like uh, taking $50,000 against a credit card at 25%. Okay, that's not a good solution. So um, we're going to wrap up and take a break here. Um, please stay tuned, and we'll be back with you momentarily. So I'm kind of new here, but I've noticed a trend. My human does this funny thing where she goes around and gets all my toys, and then she hides them in that basket by the door. You know, but it's always the same basket, and it's always in the, in the same place. And then she acts so surprised when I find them, but, you know, She's putting them in the same basket again. It's like, hello, that's where you put it last time. You were the worst at hide and go seek.
All right. Well, that's the most amount of questions we can get in in today's episode. So what we're going to do is we're going to continue this on for next week. And so um, stay tuned. Uh, appreciate you tuning in. And stay tuned for next week's episode where we pick up with the qu uh, questions and answers. And we'll see you next week on Financial Planning Explained. And I'm your host, Mike Manager, Certified Financial Planner, with two of my teammates here, uh, Kyle and Ryan. So we'll see you next week where we pick up where we left off.